Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human and my guest today is Aviva Baron Rothschild and we've got a terrific um, topic which is, is her work which is energy optimization and self-care and we're going to be hearing how to actually use our energy to our benefit and how to care for ourselves too. So I'm very excited to have you here Aviva, welcome. Um, Aviva runs uh, workshops, facilitation, coaching workshops under the Fields of Change uh, heading. That's her, the name of her, her work. And I don't know much about um, uh, Aviva except to say that she is a woman of great courage. That I do know. And Rebbe Nachman said, the whole world is a narrow bridge, but the essence is not to be afraid. And quite honestly, Aviva, I think if you could begin by telling us your story, how you came to this work, how you came to South Africa, and just tell me a bit about the courage that you yourself have had to move forward in your life. Okay. So hello to all the listeners. Um, I came to this country in 2004 from London, as you might be able to tell from my accent. Um, I actually... Uh, was having a relationship with a South African guy. I came to see whether it would work and uh, knew very quickly it wasn't going to work. But one year later, I met uh, my soulmate, Louis Rothschild, and uh, we finally tied the knot in 2008, uh, quite late in life. So both of us were 41 years old, which uh, even by current standards is quite old. Um, we'd met in the bush at a Bushman's festival and he actually proposed in the bush in Botswana. So we decided it was very fitting for us to get married in the bush. So we got married and it was an incredible day uh, with some um, Jewish traditions, but also some African um, traditions. And we had Zulu dancing and the celebration was quite unique and very beautiful and incredibly memorable. Um, so we decided that we both wanted a family and considering my age, we better get moving. <laughs> so the following year, uh, we gave birth to a little boy, um, Levi, in 2009. And we were really, really thrilled about that. Very, very excited. And Louis was a very, very proud dad, um, very hands-on and would take Levi everywhere he went just to show him off, <laughs> even on the back of his bike. Um <laughs> So it was a very exciting time in our life, and we planned on having another one, and um, we're very excited to create our own family. Um, my family is, is, as I said, is is in London, so we decided we'd make um, a DVD of Levi's Levi growing up, so that all the milestones could be captured, and I, we'd send it to my mum. And um, one Saturday evening, we were basically looking at the DVD. And, um, at your home. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we, we lived in Blair Gary in, in, by Delta Park. And, um, like eight o'clock one evening on August the 7th, 2010, all of a sudden, smashed three guys burst in, smashed the back door and came out with guns. And, um, 
I screamed instinctively, get the panic button, which was probably the worst four words I've ever said in my life because Louis ran to get the the remote button and they shot him as he mm. was running to get to get the remote. So I just ran behind the couch thinking if I move, maybe I'm going to get shot. So I, st- I stayed behind the couch and um, Louis's last words were, um, I've been shot, I'm coming to get you. But he never moved after that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so where was Levi? Levi was asleep upstairs in bed. So he was one at the time. And um, I had, like, the worst decision of my life. Do I stay behind the couch or do I go to him? Where were the three men at that stage? They were busy rummaging, trying to steal everything. So they didn't even care that they had shot him? No. Actually, as... As Louis said, I've been shot, I'm coming to get you. They hit him on the head with a gun. Mm-hmm. And then they came and asked me, where's the safe? And I said, there isn't one. So they hit me on the head with a gun. Oh, no. And then I just thought at that time, I must just give them what I've got. So I took off my engagement ring and just thought, let me just pacify them. Um, they obviously panicked and, and shot him. I don't think it was their intention, but who knows? Um, and all I could think about was I need to try and help him, but I can't. Such a helpless oh, feeling. Yeah, oh, no, was, I can't was, imagine. It was crazy. So they were busy trying to steal everything quickly because they knew they only had limited time before ADT arrived. So I, I'm guessing five minutes, and they were and they were gone. And then I ran to him, and um, he was making some very strange gurgling sounds. So I kept thinking, okay, he's still alive. <clears throat> I must do CPR and and call the ambulance. So thankfully, I found my phone that hadn't stolen it. Um, so I f- screamed to Hatsala to come, and then I tried to do CPR, and I messed it up. Uh, I was too anxious to even think about what am I supposed to be doing. Um, and Hatsala arrived, and they tried to resuscitate him, and they tried to give him an injection, adrenaline injection, to try to get his heart beating, but didn't work. Didn't. So, mm-hmm. so he passed away. And um, I just remember them putting some our favourite furry maroon blanket over him and over his head, and I just thought, no, I can't believe that he's dead. I mean, like five minutes before, we were having takeaways, looking at DVDs, watching your DVD. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was it was horrific, and um, I was trying to like open his eyelid to see maybe he's still there, maybe they've made a mistake. Like so I just total couldn't believe dis- it. Disbelief. Totally. And such horror. Yeah. And, and also, like, you know, to, to go in that way, trying to save us. And, he, you know, he was left with, like, vomit coming out of his mouth and he'd wet himself. Aww. And he just, I just thought, this is, this is, he can't be, can't be right. This is like a, a horror film. What, did he reach the panic button where the, for ADT, the yeah. security company? Yeah, so he ADT did. arrived. Oh. They ran in. They left me trying to resuscitate him and ran out, trying to get the robbers. Uh, I just thought, what is more important? (laughs) Try and help me, because Uh. I think they're first aid trained. So I I could never let go of the fact that ADT ran and abandoned me at this time when I was feeling so powerless and helpless and freaked out. So, Aviva, when I look at you today, Mm. I mean, you're an incredibly competent woman who's moved forward with your life. Hmm. How did you manage in those first hours even 
to to look after Levi to actually move yeah. forward a bit. What what have, how did you do that? Well, I mean, thankfully he slept through it all. So so that night I I didn't have to to worry about him. But the next morning, did you he, get help? Did you have help? Did people come around to help you? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, my family lives abroad. I had mm. I have a few cousins, but it was it was Shabbat, so they didn't answer their phone. Uh. Um, I tried to call my mum, she didn't answer the phone because it's Shabbat. Um, so um, I called friends, and, and a few friends came around, and one friend stayed over, and then the following day a friend moved in, and then a week later a friend moved in for quite a few months because the, the house wasn't really safe mm-hmm. and I didn't have the energy uh, to move. So um, I suppose what I did was I had to accept help and I had to ask for help and I had to look after myself. You know, I had to get vitamins to make sure I didn't get sick. Was that hard for you to ask for help? Very. Yeah, I'm very independent. Mm-hmm. I, um, I grew up with a very independent mum. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Aviva Baron Rothschild, and our topic is energy optimization and self-care. Um, Aviva has been telling me uh, about how and um, uh, the terrible way that her husband was murdered, and the shock that she was in afterwards, and for a long time. I got to hear about Aviva because of workshops that she has done for Ort and obviously other workshops. So um, her workshops are about how to actually um, take care of ourselves, how to use our energy um, in optim- uh, the, to optimize our energy. Did you find you were qualified before, is that right, in, in England? Just tell me a bit about your qualifications then. Um, yeah, I qualified as an occupational therapist and I practiced, I uh, specialized mostly in mental health. Um, and so I was an OT for, for 16 years before I came to this country. Um, and then I had already retrained as a coach in 2002. So a few years before I arrived in South Africa. Did you find that your training helped you to cope in this terrible time? I did actually. Um, so, I, we were just mentioning that I, that I, you know, I was a very independent person and I was, you know, part of my role, um, was to maximize people's independence with whatever kind of mental health challenges they had. And one of the strategies we did was something called, um, systematic desensitization, where if somebody has a big fear, you step by step gradually kind of break it down so that it's not too overwhelming and you, you know, take one step forward with the thing that, you know, is less anxiety making and then the next one is a little bit more and a little bit more until you can finally face the thing that is most anxiety making and for me at that time I was too scared to leave the house because I kind of felt like maybe the there was going to be robbers who were watching the house mm-hmm. and they were going to come back or maybe if I went to the ATM they'd rob me or, and I was too scared to to get in the car because you know, of all the beggars at the robots and I was we had seen three black faces at the windows like as they smashed to come in and I was now completely obsessed with not seeing black faces at the window because it mm. was too much of a trigger. So I knew that if I drove, I was going to see faces at the window. So I thought, okay, that's one fear. Then there was another fear of going to the ATM. Then I was kind of had post-traumatic stress. So I was hyper anxious and hyper aroused and hyper alert and sounds and noises are just too much. So I thought, how can I go shopping? It's too noisy. It's too crazy. It's too overwhelming. So I kind of had to break everything down and thought okay first is just 
get in the car and put my sunglasses on so I don't see, I don't have to make eye contact and just look at my wheel, look in front of me, don't look out the window. You know, if I went to an ATM, I would go and ask one of the security guards to come with me and stand with me until I got my money out. Or if I went to a shop to get the food, I would go to a small, quiet shop. And then I'd go to one which was slightly bigger. And then I'd go to one in a small shopping centre and then finally get go to one in a noisy shopping centre. So this all the process. time you were desensitising yourself. Yeah. Did Levi give you um, a reason to get up in the morning? Absolutely. That, at the time, he was my only reason to get up mm-hmm. in the morning. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to be dead. I wanted to be back with Louis. And uh, I, the only reason why I woke up was because Levi was crying for his milk. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. He, he got me up. And I had to try and stay sane for him. Um, and sometimes I would have like five minutes of energy at a time with him and then I'd go back to bed because I was exhausted. I was very depleted. How old was he at the time? One. Mm. Fully dependent. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And my helper went AWOL. She, like she didn't turn up for work. And I was busy trying to do washing and laundry two days after my husband was, was shot. So oh. I had a lot of... Um, practical things to sort out to be able to get help in. And no energy at all? Very little, mm-hmm. very little. So from there, how did you move on? You, did you obviously eventually moved home, did you? Oh, I stayed, we stayed in the same place. I oh. was in the same house. Did you? I, I, could, I didn't have the energy oh. to move. Mm-hmm. So we were staying there for a good few months. With your friend? My, yeah, my friend had moved in, and then she found us a place to live. She basically you know, sourced different properties that were in a secure blocks. And uh, a couple of months later, we moved um, to another area. Um, and I still wanted to go and live in a house. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, mm-hmm. like, four years after that, go back into a house with good security. Um, but, you know, it was... I had, to, I had to be very practical. And I think, you know, my my... Growing up, I was kind of practical, resourceful. I had a mum who was a single mum of three living in a foreign country. So I kind of had a role model of somebody who was resourceful, strong, independent. So, yes, it was, as you mentioned, difficult to ask for help, but I kind of had no choice. Mm -hmm. So uh, psychological help, I had financial help, I had practical help. And um, I knew my limitations. I knew... I knew my body, I knew what I can and I couldn't do. And, you know, I had to make decisions that were hard, like the shiver, you know, people coming around and popping in any time. And I, for me, every person that came in felt like an intruder. Gosh, is that so? Yeah. Mm. So it wasn't mm. like a typical shiver mm. where mm. you quite in, maybe in, quite enjoy having people around and reminiscing. For me, every person for me was just like, I can't talk. I don't want to talk. It's noisy. So you were in that horror. Yeah, still. That absolute horror. Yeah. So I had to be assertive and ask that the shiver move to my mother-in-law's place. Um, and then um, just one step at a time, you know, lists and lists, you know, my husband's estate, admin, insurance policy. It was just constant practical things, sorting out security. Um, Did you keep a, a diary or any at the time? Yeah, I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot. Um, what Did that help you? Uh, to sort things out in your mind a bit or what did it do to you? I think it just gave me um, a space to express how I felt and the kind of horrors and the emotional roller coasters that I was going through and kind of making sense slowly, slowly of, of, of my process 
and I, and I did a lot of reading around other people's grief processes because I was kind of grieving alone. Mm-hmm. Um, my in-laws were having their own grief process in their own Absolutely. way. And everyone was kind of, I suppose, in survival mode on their own. Mm-hmm. So it was a very lonely grieving process. So I did a lot of reading so I could feel not so alone. Yeah. And did that help? It did. Have you read your diary? Have you gone back and read uh, through your diary at all? Some elements of it, because I started to write my story, um, just to kind of integrate and consolidate and kind of see where I was and, and where I am now. And I thought maybe one day I'll I'll put it out there for other people, because I knew you know me reading other people's story was, was helpful mm-hmm. for me. So when I find someone to to help me <laughs> to help me write it, because I'm not a great writer, but it's been it's been useful kind of going back and seeing, yeah, you know, I can't believe I was in that space and I survived it and I came through. And I think that's where this, if you do put it out in a book, it would be absolutely incredible for people who are in this absolute shock mm. of having to go on living when they all they want to do is die themselves. Mm. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a huge struggle, but I think, I mean, you can call it kind of synchronicity or, you know, the universe working to support me. But one month before I'd already started offering energy optimization workshops. Mm. Um, so I think without me realizing I was already, um, engaging with, with that topic. Um, and how did you get to that topic? Um, I was being trained to be a facilitator many years ago. Um, and one of the conversations that we'd had with, with leaders was around energy. So, and it fascinated me because, you know, everyone was always saying, you've got to manage your time. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Aviva Baron Rothschild, and we're talking about her workshop now, Energy Optimization, and how she got to that, and her own journey through absolute horror and trauma to get to the stage where she could reach out to help other people cope with their own lives too. If you would like to SMS us, we'd love to hear from you on 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Aviva, just go back to where you were saying that you you had trained and this was one of the, the modules that they had given you was this energy optimization. And what actually hooked you into it at the time? We had to create an energy assessment as part of our workshop. And um, it started getting me researching into, like, what is energy? How do you assess your own energy? What does it really mean? Because mostly if you hear energy optimization, you think of of um, uh, the energy of fuel yeah. and electricity and yeah. everything you know you don't think of energy optimization yeah, absolutely so this is really personalizing and looking at uh, refueling your energy tanks and i think because I, I i was coaching people who were very overwhelmed and you know leaders who were trying to juggle so many things in their lives and i was doing the same thing because i was now a, a single mum a widow um a sole provider uh, you know and self-employed and i couldn't work for a while and i was studying so I, I really had to think very carefully about how do I manage my own energy so that I can keep going. So it got me very interested and I just started to research more and more. 
And um, so you looked at you had 24 hours and what to do with that? Yeah, because people are always saying, oh, we've got to we've got to manage our time. We must go on time management courses. And I used to facilitate time management courses. And I realized you can't manage time. There's 24 hours in a day, every day for everybody. But some people get more done in their t- in their day and, and other people struggle. So what is it that um, helps some people to get more done than others? And and it really is around energy. So. You know, if you think about it like a car, if you don't put your fuel into the car and you don't, you know, fill up with water and you don't put oil in and do a, a service, that car will not get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's the same with us. So, you know, I like to use the model, um, which is like a demands versus resources model. And if you imagine one of those old fashioned weighing scales, yes, um, one of the weighing scales will be all the demands and responsibilities that you face in your life, which is always growing and there's people are always saying there's just too much to do mm. and there's not enough time in the day. So if you imagine like we're, we're standing there, you know, with these weighing scales as like our hands and our hands are just getting, you know, tipping over to one side as we have more and more and more to do. And then if we can use that other weighing scale to put in resources like you would in your car, is to think about, okay, physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually, if I can refuel with different resources on a personal level, that will start to recalibrate those old-fashioned weighing scales. And we won't be so weighed down. We will start to have energy. And a bit of balance in our lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's a constant recalibration because we're never going to get full balance. Those Mm -hmm. weighing scales are never going to be nice and static and we feel like, yeah, we can keep going. There's always going to be shifts and changes Mm -hmm. and curveballs and life stresses. And therefore, we have to keep recalibrating. And it can happen hourly, actually, that recalibration, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so did you then start offering workshops after? um, Did you have the energy to actually start workshops? I started working again. Um, I started coaching again and I started offering um, emotional intelligence workshops again, not too long after my husband died, because that was another meaning that I had in my life is to help others. And even though like a few of my clients knew what had happened, they they and they kind of said, well, we can't really bring in our challenges because it's nothing compared to what you've been through. And I said, well, you know, your challenges is, is what you're coping with. And I'm present for you. It's not about me. Did you find that reaching out to others, actually, you reached into yourself and, and started gradually to heal? I think so. I, I actually would love working at that time because it took me out of my own space and mm-hmm. out of kind of like a bit of a victim mode and feeling sorry for myself, thinking, let me make a difference in other people's lives and switch off and distract from my own reality and get into somebody else's reality. And I, and I managed to find those resources to, to coach and facilitate. The energy ones um, came later because those are ones that I had to market myself. Mm. The emotional intelligence ones were ones where I was contracted into work in corporates. So it was easier for me to just get on and do that. You know, everything, all the logistics were all set up. Um, but it touches upon similar areas. Um, so I, I, I loved doing what I did and that energized me. Um, and, uh, you know, we speak about something called the peak performance zone where your strengths and your passions in the area where they overlap is where you perform at your best mm. because you're most energized. You know what you're doing. You love what you're doing and time flies and you're in flow. And and that's what I support my clients to to focus on is like, are they spending enough time in that zone? Because then it, it 
you have energy to keep you going. Mm. And you're not depleted by doing something that you're just, your heart's not in. Absolutely. Or you don't have the skills to do it. Mm. So, Mm. you know, ideal world is that people spend as much possible time in that, in that zone. Um, And I'm lucky that I have a, a, a role that I love to do. So that energizes me. So early on, I went back to work and I got energized through facilitating the growth of others. And what did you actually do with Levi? Um, because I, that's also one of your, what, you did masters in a particular subject. What was your subject that you did? I did a masters in coaching and behavioral change, um, but that was much later. When, when my husband died, I was doing a coach supervision course, which I wanted to finish. Mm. Don't ask me how, but and I, you did. I finished you it managed to that, finish that it. year. I did get help. Um, I remember I'd written an assignment and I, and I didn't have the energy to reference it. And I had to ask someone, please help me reference it. And I got through. And then a few years after that, I decided I wanted to study again. And I did a professional certificate in coaching. And then I did a postgraduate diploma in coaching. And then I did a master's in coaching behavioral change on the topic of looking at how mothers who are working full time um, and, and their, you know, obviously their parents, what do they need to be doing to have a more effective work-life balance? And that we're going to look at at another program because I think that's uh, that's going to be very interesting. We have so many working mothers out there or, or working uh, single fathers, yeah. uh, you know, the same. Let's just go back to your the, the workshops that you have been doing for ORT. <laughs> now, you talk about the optimization of, of energy. What, are, what, what actually do you feel drains us? of our energy what are the main things that do drain us okay so if we think about those four energy tanks that i mentioned just to keep it simple physical energy if we don't get enough sleep and rest and we don't take time to recover and we don't eat you know decent quality food and we don't exercise uh, physically we're going to be depleted that's the kind of most basic one which i think a lot of people are aware of and when they think of when they say like oh i've got no energy often they think about physical energy you know, their body's kind of like fatigued. Mm. But there's also, you know, emotional energy. And what depletes our emotional energy is when we have emotions that are, I suppose, depleting or unpleasant, you know, whether it's anxiety or anger or frustration or guilt or shame or um, all the, the kind of um, emotions that we struggle with and often push away. Mm. That is very exhausting. Um and they do take up a lot of our our mind space, don't they? Those toxic energy drainers. Absolutely. Um, and if we don't express them, which is why it was you know, for me, it was so important to to go to therapy and to journal a- around my feelings. Uh, you know, is to is to actually release them because emotion from you know is is energy in motion. Mm-hmm. And if we if they get stored in our body, you know, I believe they can create illness. Actually, it's so interesting that you say that because, you know, that's been one of my um, life work is is working with people with terminal illnesses or illnesses. Mm. And so often uh, they have said to me this comes from and they will mention a certain event, Mm. the loss of someone, the shock of something. Mm. And they will say, I believe that this is where my cancer started or this is where my heart problem started. Yes, Absolutely. And I, I at the time used to get burning sensations in my in my shoulders, and I couldn't get rid of it. And I believe it was it was anxiety and um, just powerlessness and helplessness and fear. There was a lot of 
you know, and draining energies that I believe and a whole lot of adrenaline sitting in my shoulders. It felt like I had acid on my shoulders. And also taking on the load on your yeah, shoulders. Absolutely. It's quite mm. symbolic. Mm. So, so as I was mentioning, the emotional um, um, feelings that can be draining um, is to be able to find strategies to, to release and to express. Um, in terms of our mental energy, I call them stinking thinking patterns. Yes, I saw that. I love that, actually. And you also call them energy robbers. Energy robbers are all the different kinds of things that can deplete us. Okay? So many of them. In terms of stinking thinking patterns, um, some people... (laughs) (laughs) I like it. So so some people call them, you know, know, the self-critic or self-sabotaging or or limiting beliefs. Um, You know, those things that says, I can't. What if this goes wrong? Or I should have, or I shouldn't have, or I have to, you know, a lot of putting a lot of pressure on ourselves or if onlys, if onlys. And the more aware we are of, of those thoughts, the more we can challenge them because often they're not based on reality. So, you know, I'd feel guilty, for example, if I wasn't spending enough time with my son or if I was, you know, going to bed. Um, and then I would be aware of those thoughts and have to start thinking, well, How's this going to serve me? And that's my son, you know, if I if I don't have the capacity to deal with it. So I would have to challenge my, my thinking and, and put a very self-compassionate and, and accepting um, mindset onto what was happening. So I find a lot of my clients, for example, have you're often perfectionists, um, never feel they're good enough or they're not competent enough mm-hmm. and just work themselves into the ground. Um, and they're not necessarily aware of their thinking patterns or their assumptions or their judgments or their harsh critic that is ruling their life. And I, I find that so many people also feel if they're not doing mm. for other people, mm. then they're not filling their space in the world. Yeah. So they're depleting their own energy by reaching out continuously, but forgetting to actually fill their own uh, jugs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then people have conditioning around that it's selfish to think about yourself first. Mm. And, you know, I've shifted my mindset a lot about that because, you know, how how good are you going to be as a parent or as a, you know, a business owner or as an employee if you are running on empty? Um, and you can't be your best self. You can't give your best to anybody else. And let's face it, that children will soon tap into that also and take whatever they can, you know, to, to fill whatever they need, their needs are. Sure. So if we don't actually look at our own needs, someone is bound to step in and try and take those, take them from us anyway, you Absolutely. know, to fill their own needs. Absolutely. And that's another drainer is um, spending too much time or having too much exposure to people who take, mm. bully, abuse, victimize, judge you uh, as a human being. Um, and often people can't, well, they find it very difficult to put in boundaries and to look after themselves. They're so busy, um, being manipulated or and trying to appease whoever's yeah. manipulating. Yes. Yeah. So, so being aware of the people that we spend time with, and sometimes we can't, we can't choose, we can't choose our boss and we can't choose our family, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we can choose our friends mm-hmm. and we can put in boundaries with people who are taking advantage. So that's something that I feel like I've really kind of refined. Did you find that friends and community uh, helped you after your own trauma? Absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned, one friend your moved friend in. in particular, yes. Yeah, she was an, an angel. Um, other friends, I, had, I was part of a women's group that, again, synchronous, 
synchronicity kicked in. I, we'd actually started a women's group one month before my, my husband died. Gosh, is that so? Uh, yeah. Huh. And they stepped up and they organized a roster and we had, and we had, you know, um, somebody coming every night during the week with food. And um, when my friend couldn't sleep over, there was a roster for somebody else who would sleep over. Mm. And on the weekends, they put their names down as to who we could go over to because I didn't have help on the weekends. And that was 24-7 exhausting time with a baby. So we would go to someone's house for a braai or, you know, even even somebody up the road looked after Levi for a few hours. So I could grieve properly. Gosh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You don't find that or so it was an, often, it was amazing. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I, I'm not religious, um, and I didn't go to shul. And um, but there was the. I think my husband had been to shul once since we were in in Blairgarry, and the rabbi's wife brought food every Friday night to last uh, us for the weekend, which is incredible. She didn't even Absolutely. know me. Absolutely, she didn't even know me. And that's the benefit, I think, of being part of a community. Mm. Are you part of a community now, just as a matter of interest? I'm not actually. No. Okay. Yeah, my, uh, my my journey's been a spiritual journey rather than a, a religious journey um i don't connect with kind of organized religion and going to shul for me has never been meaningful would, would you say that your shul is the bush yeah it is actually <laughs> nature is my spiritual nature. is my spiritual connection to something bigger than me and i've just um started an interfaith dialogue um so there's Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, there'll be a Hindu arriving soon. And just to talk about what we have in common, which uh, is just started. We've just had one session and it's fascinating and amazing experience. Oh, what a wonderful thing to be able to share. I know that uh, quite a few people are doing that in Israel today. Mm. And um, it's amazing what what is actually coming out of it and the healing that's taking place mm. in in the people themselves, part of the group, who are then taking it back to their own communities. Mm, yeah. So that's also one of the energy fill-ups, I think, to find a space where you feel that you are filling up your own energy. Absolutely. And for you, as you say, it is the bush and it is nature. And um, so this the stinking, I love that, the, the stinking uh, thinking patterns. Um, what about how do we actually um, resource these you you actually you sent a note saying utilize an energy model to ensure that they resource themselves consistently mm. now what do you mean by that well as as I was mentioning about physically we we need to make sure that we that we, we look after our bodies and we get rest and we exercise and we eat healthily and we slow down and it sounds quite contraindicative to slow down when the pace of life is so fast but I think, you know, I've noticed for myself and my clients and the people that I was researching that people were saying if they slow down, they actually get more done. Because in that time, they can kind of breathe mm. and, and refill their, their body with, with kind of pure oxygen um, and have time to reflect and think and plan and organize themselves and be. Would you say mindfulness comes into this? Sure. Mindfulness sure. breathing or just being aware of where you are at a certain time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And for some people, mindfulness looks like, you know, ironing, mm. just kind of getting in the zone of, of, of being present. For some and people, it's, you know, walking in the bush. For some people, it's yoga. It's, it means something different. For some different people, for it's else. cooking. I couldn't yeah. imagine anything worse. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is cooking. For others, it's reading. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just being in a different space, yeah. clearing your mindset for yeah. a moment. Yeah. So, and there's such a, a link. When I mean, I, I separate it into four energy tanks, but they're completely linked. 
you know. And then, you know, when, when you're talking about resourcing your mind, it's about noticing those stinking thinking patterns that are robbing you of energy and then thinking, well, what is going to be a more rational and kinder, more self-accepting and supportive way of talking to myself? Mm-hmm. What, what's going to help me? Um, so the sooner we recognize that, that our mind's gone into that stinking thinking pattern is to kind of challenge it and notice, you know, where we've, where we've kind of gone off track. I always say to people, take your thoughts to court. Would it stand up in court? Have you got enough evidence? And usually the judge is going to bang his hammer on the table and say, out, you haven't got enough evidence. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a fun way. Absolutely. And that's really bringing the awareness straight back to, to you. Yeah. If anyone would like to join this conversation, we'd really like to hear from you. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can telegram us on 61 um, let's look at choices now. Or actually, you have a you've, you you actually mentioned nine dimensions of wellness. Mm. Would you like to discuss those with us? Sure. So it kind of takes those four energy tanks, the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, a little bit further, and puts um, me time at the center. So if you imagine like eight circles and me time at the center, and the eight circles around the edges are um, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, your financial needs, your mental needs, your vocational needs. We're going to go back to those in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Right, we were talking, you were talking about the different nine dimensions. I'm talking to Aviva Baron Rothschild, and we are talking about how to heal our energy levels in our body, the different energy fields that we have, and optimization of our energy and self-care. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, you're talking about the different the nine dimensions of wellness. Okay, so I'll just go back over them. Um, we need to think around our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, our financial needs, our mental needs, our vocational or occupational needs, our social needs, our physical needs and environmental needs. And um, this used to be called the eight dimensions of wellness. But I've realized that if we don't have ourselves at the core of that, which is why I was saying, you know, self-care and me time needs to be at the core of all those um, energy fields, then we're not going to have enough energy to um, respond to all the different areas of our life. So um, my my... Uh, reference point is that conscious self-care is the antidote to the demands of life and it's the foundation to our wellness in all the different areas of what our do you life. mean by conscious self-care is to be thinking around what do i need and rather than waiting for things to go wrong waiting for ourselves to burn out waiting for ourselves to become physically unwell or mentally unwell or to start over drinking or misusing drugs or whatever is to think to think on a daily basis, is what am I, what is my, tune in to our body? What is my body needing right now? What is, what is happening upstairs in my head? <laughs> what are the kind of thoughts that I'm having? Um, spiritually, how am I feeling? Am I feeling connected to myself, to something bigger? Am I honoring my values? Am I making decisions based on my authentic self? Am I connecting to my purpose or my, or, or what's meaningful for me? And am I in that flow, in that zone that I was talking to you about? Um, is to think about, like, am I filling? Am I filling myself? Am I nurturing myself? And if I'm not, I'm going to feel 
uneasy. I'm going to feel some dis-ease. I'm going to feel out of balance. I'm going to feel exhausted. I'm going to feel irritable. I'm going to feel snappy. I'm going to feel hurt. You know, we we know when we're not okay. So we almost become a victim to our feelings. Yeah. Yeah, and our circumstances. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So if we can tune in to ourselves in whichever way we want to do that. I'm not, you know, saying that any way is wrong or right. For some people it's it's sitting in the bath. For other people it's going for a run. For other people it's listening to music. For other people it's doing mindfulness breathing. It doesn't matter. As long as we have an opportunity to look in and say what is out of balance here? What do I need? Which energy tank needs filling? And um, there's very simple energy assessments that I offer people so they can see which which area is out of balance and how do I consciously make choices to, to, to fill up, to refuel, to recover. And then I've got energy to keep going. And we can, we can think about that in many different ways. Um, you know, what's on our plate right now? We've all got lists and 100 million things of things that we need to do. But we can also look at, well, what of those things energize me? Some of the things we need to do are quite energizing. Mm. And some of them are totally depleting. Mm. If we can kind of look and think, right, to take care of myself right now, I might need to ask for help. I might need to delegate. I might need to um, have a rest first. You know, we can't expect our brains to keep on going. Like, apparently, every 90 minutes, we need to get up and walk around because our brain kind of shuts down. Mm. And some people, you know, one of my clients said, 90 minutes? You must be joking. Mine is 12. <laughs> so it's just to being aware. When have we switched off? Mm. When are we overwhelmed? When are we not concentrating anymore? Because we will not get the best results if we don't know what's happening internally. And, you know, saying that, uh, I'm just thinking of myself, if I go onto the computer, um, I can spend an hour there without actually realizing that the hour has passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if I'm on Google or Safari and looking up what interests me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, saying that you've got to actually get up and, and stretch and move around and become more aware of your surroundings is actually a very good point mm -hmm. because I think many people don't do that. They do get totally focused on what they're doing. Mm, yeah. And then keep pushing themselves mm. to do more, but they've got less because mm. they, 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 you know, a lot of people are depleted and they, and they burn out. And they keep saying, no, I've got to keep going, I've got to keep going. And they're not aware of the thoughts that they're having, which is maybe pushing them to perfection or pushing them to prove themselves like we spoke about before or to please, you know. And there's there's a boss hanging over them saying deadlines, deadlines. And and people find it very difficult to put in boundaries and to look after themselves and say, I actually need to go home. Or this weekend, I, I, I can't work. I, I want to spend time with my family. Or I want to go and have a weekend away. So it's it's about recognising what your needs are and then finding ways to fulfill those needs without being disrespectful or hurting anybody. But, you know, it's it's reprioritizing yourself top of the mm. list, which mm. people find very difficult to do. Very. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. And, you know, that being authentic, I think, is just also a very big, a very big thing because so many people are living someone else's lives, you know, not their own, especially, uh, I think, it happens with parents. There's a beautiful... Um, that I, I actually picked this up the other day, a beautiful quote by, by Rumi, mm. uh, the Sufi poet, who says, appear as you are and be as you appear. Mm. And I think that is is very relevant here because we so often um, appear as we feel other people want us to be mm. and we're not appearing as we actually are. Yeah. Is that something that you do, that you show people how to be authentic? I think... 
that is something that people call me and have been calling me for a long time, that you're very authentic and you're very real and you're not afraid to call things out and you're not afraid to stand up for what you believe and what you think and what you feel. And um, it's been a lifelong journey, I think, of, of, of knowing yourself and believing that you have got a right to just to say what you want or what you don't want and if somebody's hurting you to be able to express how you feel um, and to to share opinions and to try to honor your values because that, to me that is about being authentic is mm -hmm. knowing what is really important to me what, what do I want to live by or how do I want to live my life and then trying to do that as much as possible knowing that you can't get perfection mm -hmm. um, so I think I, I, I have done that for, for most of my life is being authentic and I, 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 I hope I, I like to think that I've been authentic, but I think there are certain situations when I suddenly realize I'm not being authentic. Mm. I'm, I'm pleasing others yeah. and not myself. And, and that comes as quite a shock when that does happen, especially when, you know, you sort of get to my age and you think, well, I'm always going to be authentic. Actually, I think it's something that does follow us throughout our lives that we've got to keep looking at who we are setting boundaries, setting our own um, boundaries around ourselves. Mm. We're not allowing people to drain us yeah. of our energy and become what they want us to be. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you think, okay, I've got to strategize here. I've got to play the game to get this work, you know, in a corporate environment, for example, which is, you know, sometimes there's a lot of game playing going on. And I, mm. I think sometimes if you go in knowingly, okay, if I have to do it like this, because this is what the client wants, even though I might not agree <laughs> with it, then I need to accept that mm. um, and and do what it is that they're wanting me to do, but put my own spin on it. And then mm. you bring in your own authentic spin back into you know mm. what their request is. So you're bringing it back all the time. Yeah. I think part of also uh, our lives is scheduling our time for ourselves and guarding that time very, very carefully. Yes. Yes, and as you mentioned, for people who have got kids or maybe they're looking after elderly relatives or, you know, it's, it's, and I find with a lot of my, my clients who, who are, uh, who are what? Um, who are trying to juggle too much, they get lost. Mm -hmm. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Aviva Baron uh, Rothschild and <laughs> I was going to say Cohen. <laughs> and um, we are talking about energy optimization and self-care, which is such a, a very important subject. And, you know, one of the self-care um, things I was looking up before actually meeting with you today said, you know, looking at our physical condition, our awareness, kindness, choices, attention, priorities, Curiosity and exploration, community, mm. slowing down, support, pleasure, and acceptance, mm. and that's exactly what what you have been br bringing in all of those. Mm. And um, Aviva, we, we're beginning to the time is going quite quickly, and I know people will be wanting to know: Are you running workshops? How do they get hold of you if they want to actually know more about your awareness courses? Mm. Um, I generally tend to do a lot of one-to-one -one work um, rather than public workshops. So if people want to meet with me on, on a one-to-one -one basis, they can, if you, I'm not sure if you want to put my, my number out. Yes, I'd like your number. Okay, so it's 073-367-7800. 073-367-7800. 
7307. Um, so I offer individual coaching. And for companies who are wanting uh, me to come in and, and facilitate workshops for teams, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to facilitate team um, awareness and, and team, team building. bonding and team mm. building and to start reallocating work according to that peak performance zone. So that, you know, it's not a, a um, you don't have to be ashamed to say, I don't actually like that element of my work. And somebody else will say, well, I do, you know, <laughs> or I'm good at that. And I'm not good at that because working to your strength is another way to energize yourself rather than pushing yourself to do things that you don't feel very competent at doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, companies can can get hold of me to to run, facilitate workshops internally. Um, if there's enough people who say I do want to run a workshop, then I'll do a public one. Okay. So it just depends on, on, on the demand, really. So it certainly sounds worth it. Just um, tell me a bit about going back to that peak. Mm. How would we, how would someone actually begin to understand? Because so many people say, you know, I'm good at a lot of things, but I don't really, I'm not particularly good at anything. And a lot of people put themselves down in mm. that way. You know, for instance, if they're writers or they are musicians, whatever they say, yeah, but it's more a hobby than anything else. Mm. Now, how do you actually get people to recognize that there are peak strengths that we do mm. have? Mm. Well, I actually found a free resource um, mm. online. So you just answer questions and it's a free online resource um, for the company via Values in Action. Values in Action. Yeah. That's a good one. So you can go online, you can do this free um, inventory and it'll give you your, 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 your top strengths. Once you get those top strengths, you start looking at, okay, well, if, if I've got a strength of, um, one of them came up as love and people are like, huh? How can love be a strength? But if you bring love into workplace and you do things with kindness and with generosity, with an open heart, is to start thinking of examples of when, of when you do specific things that you can start owning those strengths. Otherwise, it's just a cognitive exercise. Mm -hmm. So start thinking, okay, what, I'm going to break down my top three strengths. Think about when do people come to me? Um, you know, what do they come to me for? What can I be relied on for? Um, what thing, what, what's the pattern of my life that has always shown that I've got a particular strength? And that inventory will help you to identify and name them. Great. That's a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much, Aviva, for being on this program today. And I'd like to end with this quote. Let the good in me connect with the good in others until all the world is transformed through the compelling power of love. That's from Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. Thank you so much, and thank you, Craig, and we're going to be ending with a song.